This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. For Inside Carolina, I'm Taylor Vipolis, and you're listening to this podcast, which is a part of the Inside Carolina Podcast Network. So first off, thank you for being here. If you haven't already, be sure you subscribe or follow Inside Carolina wherever you get your podcasts or on YouTube so you never miss out on any of the content the team at IC puts out. It helps us out a ton and it hardly takes any time. Speaking of support, we want to support the people that support us. So that's why I've got to remind everybody about Jimmy's Famous Seafood. The reason they wanted to sponsor this podcast is simple. They're owned and operated by Carolina fans. So not only do you get great seafood at a great price, but you're also supporting one of your own. It's a true win-win. For everybody wondering, my go-to order is the famous gift box where you get two massive crab cakes, two kinds of crab soup, and a half pint of crab dip. Visit them online at jimmysfamousseafood.com. And at checkout, use the promo code hashtag GDTBATH for free two-day shipping. That's promo code hashtag GDTBATH. All right, today we have a fellow Carolina football letterman in the house who's now a college football analyst for Stadium, Michael Felder in the building. Michael, this is a, a collaboration that's been long overdue. I heard on the right time with Bomani Jones that you just bought a new house. So How's everything with you as you get ready for what has to be the busiest time of the year? I mean, I'm listen, I'm just I'm focused on the football. My wife's focused on the house. So I let her <laughs> handle that and I handle this. It's one of those things where, you know, like we got new appliances coming in. We got a consult come a consult uh, appointment for the um, new countertops. But the reality of it is we got it. We don't have to move, which is important. And goodness, I oh. I'd be remiss if I didn't say, by the way, to everyone that's part of the Carolina football family, um, thoughts and prayers to Fred Sparkman's family who passed away most recently. So yeah, I didn't didn't mean to start. I didn't mean to start showing a, on a on a joke and then go to a bad note. But Fred Sparkman passed away. For those of you that didn't know, so I wanted to put that out there because I think more people are going to hear about this than are kind of scrolling the internet. Mm. For a little background into how me and Michael became close when I was a senior. In college in 2016, I reached out looking for help on, you know, how I could turn sports broadcasting into a career. And he was always quick on how to give me tips or giving me advice or feedback. So if you like listening to anything I do on Inside Carolina, know that I wouldn't be here today without somebody like Michael Felder. So big salute to you always. Do you remember those early days? Yeah, man, I remember those, man. Listen, <laughs> it's, you, listen, we talked a lot and it was always my whole goal is to get back, right? Like I wouldn't be here if somebody didn't help me up either. So I just want to, I want to get back. I'm not, I'm not the guy that gets in the club and closes the door, right? I'm the guy that I want to get in the club, leave that door cracked a little bit. Let's, let's go, baby. Let's bring everybody. Everybody's yep. coming with us. He's a great follow on Twitter. 
in the at in the bleachers, but especially on Saturdays with college football. Felder, can you break down your college football weekly viewing experience to the listeners? Because you're normally tweeting from that first noonish kickoff time from the East Coast perspective up until you know I'm scrolling Twitter late at night watching that late night Hawaii action. Be real, you're scrolling Twitter on you're scrolling Twitter on Sunday morning when you wake up. <laughs> No, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, uh, a late night Hawaii watcher. Like, okay. Th- those, are, those are the games. Like if, if I have a bad couple of bets, you know, I, the Hawaii okay. game is the game where I'm trying to win it back before the NFL action Sunday. So I just see your, your tweets that correspond with that game too. Yeah, no, I, um, so for me, yeah, I'm in, I'm, I'm in Chicago now. So I kick it off 11 o'clock in the morning and I ride all the way until two, two thirty, and that's the Hawaii game that we're talking about, right? It starts midnight Eastern, starts 11 o'clock my time, and they throw the ball a ton. Don't matter who's coaching them, they throw the ball a ton. So, you know, there's a lot of stops in play. And I just – I tweet through it, man. Like, I love – I love football. Like, that's a thing that – it was really frustrating um, having people be like, you don't even like the sport that you cover. And I was like, oh, no, I actually like the sport. I don't care about the band. I don't care about – hardly care about rivalries i don't care about i like the x's and o's the little bit that goes into football to make football great and i care about what happens between the chalk as we say and to get to watch that i don't care if it's virginia taking on unc or it's notre dame uh going to play when they played um oh my goodness when they or excuse me clemson when they played Pitt a couple years ago and Pitt completely changed their offense and mesmerized Clemson and was able to pull off the upset. I don't care if it's DJ Uyunglele taking on Notre Dame, or I don't care if it's, I don't care if it's Mason Fine. You guys don't know who Mason Fine is, quarterback for North Texas. I loved Mason Fine and Jalen Durden and all the rest of those guys that were able to make those plays. I just like what happens between the white and it is, it's something I get. They finally gave me a chance to do a podcast called Tape Don't Lie, where I get to talk about, just the chalk stuff. Like, and I got to get you on Taylor. I got to get you on to talk about whether it's whatever you feel the most comfortable about, but I want to talk re- wide receiver releases or wide receiver alignments. But I did 25 minutes with Roddy Jones from the ACC network where we only talked about inside zone aiming points from a running back standpoint. Like that's the part of football that I like. Yeah. And so it just, it was really cool. And obviously to circle back, you and I have been, in contact and been friends and talked the whole deal for a long time. And it's for goodness, is it almost five years now? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. And the biggest thing that I always told you was be yourself, right? Cause yeah. it's really, it's really hard to be somebody else and getting to be myself is something that makes me really excited. Now I brought you on here today to talk about this upcoming Carolina football season where the hype around the Tar Heels is reaching that 2010, maybe even levels that we've never even seen before when you have the North Carolina LSU game, but the hype is off the charts where everybody starts with this UNC team. It's the quarterback, Sam Howell, where Carolina has arguably one of the best players in the nation at the most important position in the sport. What is it in your opinion that has made Howell this elite quarterback at this level, seemingly from day one um man i think that like going back to sam howell for me as someone who does sports on a national level him kind of dissing florida state 
I mean, that's the start, right? That's the start of his arc going into college. Everyone knew he was good and everyone just assumed he would go to Florida state. And then Florida state has their ups and downs. They have their problems. Now he's at UNC and he comes in and he plays well, fire strong. I mean, this is a guy he is, he's a, I like, I like to call him like a thick body all-star, right? Am I wrong? No, no. Like him and uh, Baker Mayfield is the guy that I usually compare him to. The same type of build. Yeah. Same type yeah. of build, same type of quiet swagger. Yeah. And, but they got swag and you know, they got swag. Cause those other, those wide receivers respect them. And so watching him come out and play and throw and do his thing, and he can make every single throw that you need somebody to make. So he's deservedly kind of sitting in the catbird seat. I think that's really cool to watch because uh, for all the success that North Carolina has had on different levels in terms of football, a quarterback that we expect to get picked in the first round has not been one of them for the mm. most part. Yeah. And so that's huge. And it also speaks to he is the bell cow for Mac Brown and for Mac Brown returning to UNC. And then you throw in uh, Phil Longo and you throw in Bateman and you throw in all these extra pieces to the puzzle. But Sam Howe kind of kicked off that entire thought process or confidence or, oh, maybe this is going to be a game-changing game changing move. And I'll admit, I didn't know if Mac was going to work at UNC and, and for a second time. As someone who grew up with Mac the first time, and I was like, oh, yeah, he was great at that. But then I saw Texas, and I don't know if this was going to go well. But then guess what? It did, and it is. And a lot of that has to do with Sam Howe. He's a, he's a way better recruiter than I ever was. He works hard. He talks to people. He's interested in other people, which is, <laughs> which is something I was never, I never was, but he works really, he, he, he's working on his craft and I'm not going to sit. I think that Trevor Lawrence is a remarkably special talent. I mean, you don't find giants that are, you know, a guy that is six, six that can do what Trevor Lawrence does. But what I do see between Trevor and Sam Howe, I do see this control. And I think control is important. I don't think most people think about control when they think about the offense. But even in the second year, we saw Sam get more control of the offense. And there were a lot less check with me's, a lot less looking to the sideline, mm. and a lot less um, not knowing what to do. And I think that control is what helps you get ready for not just a really good year three, it helps you get ready for a really good career at the next level. Yeah. And I think the, the craziest thing with somebody like Sam Howell is that when you talk with people, he still has like so much room left to reach his full potential as yeah. a quarterback while already being one of the best, if not the best quarterback in school history, where do you see him having the most room for growth in his overall game? I, Ooh, well, there's a couple things. One, if I'm him, I am worried going into this season because you don't have Javante back there. Yeah. One of the, he's one of the best guys in pass pro that we've ever seen. Mm. So I think for him, it's going to be recognizing that you have to do more. And so the room for growth for me is probably decision-making. I don't think physically we're going to see a ton change, which I think that does kind of 
differentiate him from Trevor Lawrence, who didn't really run year one, ran a little more year two, ran more year three. I think for Sam, we're going to see him still make the smart run decisions that he made. But I think him understanding how to get people into space to protect so that he can push the ball vertically is going to be the biggest growth here because it is a team that still has to figure out who are our running backs. What do our running backs look like? What's the easiest way for me to create space in the run game? Because football is a game of schedule. And you know this as well as I do, right? Like if we can get first and 10 to second and five, then we can get to third and two. And third and two is better than third and seven. And then if we can get to third and two, now we have a run pass go and I can make that decision myself. And I think managing the first two downs and, and maybe this is something that people don't think about football or think about football in this way, but managing those first two downs are going to be the most important part of what, of Sam Howell's growth. For Carolina, this is a team where their confidence extends, you know, well beyond Sam Howell right now, since it's yeah. a team that they're returning 21 of 22 starters from its orange ball appearance, where they went toe to toe with a team like Texas A&M outside of Howell, what would you say this team's greatest strength is? Oh, Bo Corrales is back, right? Yeah. Yeah. Ah, man. But you know what? Nah, I'm defaulting to the rude boys, baby. Big time rude boys. I'm defaulting to the rude boys. Between Grimes, Morrison, you throw in Conley. I think that the rude boys are who I'm defaulting to. What's his name? McMichael? Kyler McMichael? Kyler McMichael, yeah. The Clemson transfer. Yeah, like I, I think he, he fits, and I just think that I'm defaulting to the rude boys. Now the question becomes, how can the two Fox kids help out? Mm. Because you got to get to the quarterback. Yeah. You have to get to the quarterback. But I think the rude boys, and obviously shout out to Dre Bly, shout out to, to anyone that's played in that secondary, like – I think the Rude Boys are the strongest part of this football team, man. Am I am I wrong? Uh, defensively, I would say, yeah. That was one of the questions I was going to bring up with you is that, you know, you were a cornerback at Carolina. You were a Rude Boy. You know what it takes and, like, what they're expecting in that room. And since he's been back at UNC, Dre has kind of taken that position from – quite frankly, an absolute liability in yeah. coverage and in, in tackling to now they're the strength of the defense where you have a guy like Tony Grimes in his high school senior year balling out at the ACC level. You have a guy like Storm Duck who at times looked like he was the best corner in the conference before he got hurt. You have a guy like Kyler Michael who's your three, your, your two, two, maybe third cornerback but he could start at a lot of ACC teams. And for somebody like Dre, who this is his first job in the college level to have this team, have this position group as strong as it is going into year three, like what he's doing is unbelievable. What the only other strength I could think of is that, you know, this team has a lot more continuity than a lot of other teams where you're going into year three with, uh, Jay Bateman, you're going into year three with um, Phil Longo. You're going into year three with the same five on the offensive line. And I think the offensive line 
they they've had their ups and downs the past two years, but and I don't think they get the credit they necessarily deserve because you look at somebody like Javante Williams and you look at Michael Carter and they're making a ton of people miss and a lot of their yards are coming from them making people miss. But I don't think you you have two thousand yard rushers with a an an average or below average offensive line. So for me, I would either say it's the continuity that you get with the coordinators or it's or it is the the defensive backs. Yeah, no, I think continuity is critical. Um, and I know we listen, Dre, awesome. Dre is for me, my lifetime, like because I'm a little Dion young. I'm not Dion, I'm not old. I'm old, I'm old, I'm not Dion old. But Dre was the best defensive back, Dre and Charles Woodson. It's like Woodson one, Dre two, right? Mm. And so that's me growing up. But I also got to give some credit to Bateman. And I think Bateman, what he did, what he was able to do, remember, he was at what? He was at Army, right? Yeah. And so he's at Army. And so he doesn't have Dre Blyes or Deion Sanders's or Charles Woodson's or Darrell Revis's. And he did something that was very similar to um, Pat Fitzgerald at Northwestern, um, Jim Leonard at Wisconsin where he took guys and he was like, here's what we're focusing in on. And so, yes, I think Dre is the highlight of it, but I think Bateman is the base of it. And I think the base is more important because you can't build that. You can't build the building up without that base. And Bateman is the base and it's about tackling, which they, you mentioned this, right? They got way better at tackling. Yeah. Tackling is important. Rallying to the football. One of the things that I have always loved about football is you can see effort on film right Mm. and I know you're an offensive guy but when I think about it I look at how many hats are in the frame and UNC going from Fedora to Mac with Bateman they had more hats in frame than they had before and that's a humongous thing more hats in frame and it doesn't matter if they go to the NFL like Chaz Surratt it doesn't matter if they don't go to the next level, but the reality of it is, is you have guys rallying to the football. You got 11 players on defense. If any time you can get 11 hats in the frame, that means you're doing your job because everybody's paying attention. Defense works in sync. And I think that is a big Bateman thing. I think that the swag, some of that swag and some of that, um, some of the risk-taking, quite honestly, that does come from Dre, but I think Bateman is a guy that just, he truly because he was at army because he was at a school that didn't have like listen we might have one guy that goes to the nfl yeah but they built a culture and he's building it at unc as well a culture of guys who all work really hard so that we have 11 hats to the ball every time i kind of equate it to obviously we talked about it with army but i also equate it to um seeing the difference between oklahoma under grinch versus pre-Grinch and with Grinch Oklahoma they get more hats to the ball and that was a noticeable difference in watching them play and with UNC it was the same thing and listen they weren't always doing the right thing but if you make mistakes fast that's a better mistake than paralysis by analysis yeah. just frozen just frozen stuff exactly <laughs> and it, listen and we we saw it a couple times right we saw Chaz Surratt come down in a blitz in, in blitz packages and get he got blown up. He got stoned a couple times. But guess what? That's a mistake I can take versus 
I don't know what I'm doing. Should I go or should I not go? I don't know if I'm going to go. Those are two completely different types of mistakes. And him flashing in front of a quarterback, even if you get stoned, that's still better because that quarterback does have to move off his point. Him moving off that point means that your defensive back gets a throw that's coming out a lot quicker, a little hotter than if you're standing there and you take a false step and you back up and then you decide, I don't know, I guess maybe I'm going to rush. And so there is this understanding. And that's where I guess when you mentioned continuity, that's where that comes into play, right? Yeah. Yeah. These guys are going to know what they're supposed to do and knowing what you're supposed to do, whether it's what uh, is it Gimmel? And obviously I mentioned the Fox miles Murphy being able to do stuff like those are important parts of things. And that's going to help the back end. And then, Grimes is actually a college kid now, right? <laughs> it's going into his true freshman season. And I like Storm Dog. I think he's fantastic. Yeah. And then I also think, like, kind of going to the point you were making overall, like, when you watch them in the Texas A&M game, they had, they had a little bit of swagger to them defensively. Mm-hmm. They get gassed. They, can't, they just can't finish plays defensively, which is a huge, a huge difference when you look at, like, the 2014 team against ECU when ECU is putting up 70 points on the Tar Heels in Greenville, where it's like, these guys have no idea what they're supposed to be doing right now compared to Carolina, knowing what they're supposed to do, just not having the bodies to do it against Texas A&M to close out that game. And the, the other point I wanted to make about Dre Bly is like, a lot of times people are like, what, what took so long? And the one counter I have heard, which kind of goes hand in hand with what you were saying, it's like, Jay Bateman was the perfect defensive coordinator for a first-time coach like Dre Bly, where Dre can just be himself, tell the guys what he knows, and then you know somebody like Jay Bateman is going to cover for you when you're looking at the entire defense. So from a from a schematic standpoint, what do you think the ideal Jay Bateman defense looks like when he has the talent and he has the depth to do what he's trying to do? Man, um. I'm still, because it's, what is it, like a 3-3-5 three, three, package? Yeah. And it's a 3-3-5 three, three, package, but it's a 3-3-5 three, three, where you have the overhang guy. So it's really, it's a 4-3. It's a 4-3 package with a, or a 4-2-5, really, mm. because you put a linebacker up on the line. And that's, who's that? Is that Tom and Fox? Is that right? Yeah. He usually, he's usually at the line of scrimmage. And so when I think about it, it's a 4-2-5, even though you have somebody standing up on the edge. And... I think that the star or the nickel or whatever you want to call him, that guy is your wild card. Mm -hmm. And with Bateman, he plays a small guy there, right? Is it, is it, it's not, um, it's not, they've, they've rotated it this year. It's Chapman now. Yeah. Okay. It's not duck. It's Chapman. And so you play a smaller guy there. I think about the way I, and the reason I bring this all up to get into it is when I see other four, two fives, I think about like Alabama, and they have played famously guys like Landon Collins, who's a bigger guy, and Vinny Sanceri, who's a bigger guy. And they've played in that spot. I think about TCU, who uses that three safety rotation to play it. And with Bateman, he is he opts for that speed because speed is a difference maker. And obviously, it's a thing we saw him do at Army. It's a thing that he's working on now. And the speed is – you just <laughs> – I don't know if anybody listening to this knows who Bookie Radley Hiles is, but Bookie played at um, Oklahoma and is now, I believe, at Washington. But he's – you have to have tough speed. 
does that make sense what i'm saying yeah like you gotta you gotta ask a guy to really get in his bag and recognize that i'm smaller but i'm going for it which does allow you to blow plays up and i don't know and i honestly i'll be fit honest i haven't studied bateman as much as i've as i've looked at guys whether it's grinch or saban or kirby smart or whoever Mm -hmm. but it looks like they play a lot more of a spill defense to make everything run wide yeah so if you spill things and push things wide that speed helps you spill and if you can spill now you have linebackers that can go track things down so i think that's interesting if you want to play fill or that force or hammer defense and keep things on the inside, which was a very Butch Davis thing. Butch Davis funneled everything to those two linebackers to the interior. This feels like more of a spill where the linebackers are fast and they can get wide. And then you're obviously your defensive line is making plays as well. So we'll see what happens. I just am very, I like, I love, like I was talking to a guy, Jordan Reed, who played at uh, North Carolina central. And he said that the hardest defense for him to, for, a lot of coaches to figure out is a three, three, five because you clog up in the middle, everything bounces, everything has to go a little bit wide, but if you have these fast guys coming in from the sides, now you got a problem. I think we see the same thing with Iowa state, how they clog up the middle and somehow Iowa state runs like a two, two, four. I'm trying to do the math two, four, five. (laughs) And they just like clog up the middle. You have to bounce and then they make the tackle. So I think that's the goal, and I think it can work. Yeah, and especially when you're spilling. I know the staff is super high on uh, Eugene Asante, who's mm-hmm. replacing um, Chad Surratt this year. So we'll see if he – I thought he had his moments in the Orange Bowl. Like, there was times where you could tell he – the game was moving really fast for him, but he was moving just as fast trying to make those plays, running yeah. sideline to sideline. And I think I think the staff is, is really high on his potential this year, but – you know, we, t- we talked about the positives. Well, it's flipping. better. It's, it's better. If, yeah. If, if a guy can't hit a hole, if someone can't hit someone in the a gap, a gaps an immediate play. Yeah. But if you can force them out to the C gap, now you got more bodies moving that way. And I think that's a really good philosophy. Yeah. But if, if we're flipping it, we, we talked about the strengths earlier, where would you say your biggest question marks or concerns are for this team heading into the 2021 season. Oh man. Well, let me ask you is, is what is it? Ty Chandler, Tennessee kid. Yeah. Is that going to be, that's the running back position. Yeah. He's going to, he's going to be the feature back. It's going to be, it's going to be, it's still up for grabs. Who's going to be that number two back. Sure. Though that's what I was going to ask is who's the second, who's the second hit. Is it Elijah green? Uh, Is it Josh Henderson? I think it's going to be Caleb hood. Caleb off, Hood, off of from what I've heard from people. Okay. Um. So Caleb Hood, true freshman running back. He's he's but a bigger. That changes body. your pass pro. Yeah, he's a bigger body. Um, pass protection is kind of the last thing that clicks for that high exactly. school. Exactly. That high school to college uh, jump off, but he is he is a bigger he has a bigger frame. I would say he's he's closer to like a Javante than he would mm-hmm. be like a Michael Carter, but um. Yeah, if if you want me to give like where I'm the most concerned about this team, yeah. it's got to be the skill positions on offense. Um, I you're replacing four players who have put up monster thousand plus yard mm-hmm. seasons in Michael Carter, Javante Williams, Daz Newsome, Diami Brown. Mm-hmm. 
I think Sam Howell has the the talent to make a good receiver great and an average receiver good. Mm-hmm. Finding where you're going to get four thousand or so yards. That's that, hard. That becomes a challenge, I think, because. And it's also a challenge for those incoming guys. Like I know uh, Ty Chandler was asked about it. Like, you know, how do you replace Javante or Michael Carter? And those are questions he's going to hear the entire year until he starts until, you know, production starts to match. Yeah. So I think that's kind of in the back of everybody's head. Like, how are we going to replace these guys? And at the same time, you're trying to fight it off and saying like, you know, I'm, I'm trying to be the best Ty Chandler I could be. I'm not trying to be Michael Carter, Javante Williams, but until you see production from the skill positions, I think that has to be the biggest concern or the biggest worry for this team, just because, you know, you have somebody as talented as Sam Howell and the window to win with Sam Howell. It's this year. That's, yeah. that's it. That's it's it. 2021. <laughs> no, I, that's the reason why I wanted to kind of flip it back on you because Ty Chandler, I, I trust him in pass protection. He understands what it is. And sometimes you've got to sacrifice your body. I don't know who's next up on that list to do that. And when I think about it from a football standpoint, because, and listen, I think of everything from a defensive standpoint, right? And if I recognize that you have one guy that can pass protect, okay. When he's in the game, I know what you're doing. Or when I recognize you have one guy that cannot pass protect, but is your best running back, if he's out of the game, I know what you're doing. Yeah. And to highlight that, I think about Clemson with Travis Etienne. Awful at pass protection. So they would put in, um, what's his name, that ended, uh, Tavian Feaster. Hmm. They put Feaster in the game. And Feaster would go in the game whenever they wanted to throw the football because Travis Etienne couldn't pass protect. Okay. No, I know what you're doing now. So I think that's because, but the problem is, is you think about, think about the dominoes that fall with that. If I know that you're going to pull, and who, what, what was his name again? The freshman? Caleb Hood. Caleb Hood. So if I know that when Caleb Hood's in the game, he's going to get the football defensively. Okay. I'm keying on that. And then I know they take him out, whether it's Chandler or it's green or it's Henderson or it's British it, it, or Brooks or whoever those guys go in to do pass protection. Okay, now I'm looking for pass, which means maybe we dial up a blitz. Maybe we key up this. And now to get the ball to Corrales down the field, it's a little harder. Mm-hmm. And those are the dominoes that I think about when I think about football. Those are the things that fall down because everything leads to another thing. And I, I, I don't know that a lot of people think about football that way, but that's the way that I think about it. Yeah. So, yeah, I just, for me, I do think that that pass protection is going to be critical. You've got a quarterback that's as good as Sam Howell. You want to show him off. Mm. But if you can't protect him or you can only protect him with specific people, then you don't get to show him off because everybody's going to key on that. So I think that's the part that I would be very um, curious to see. Yeah, and I wouldn't wouldn't so much say that I'm I'm worried about UNC's skilled positions but if I had to pick an area of like where I think this team um needs to catch up to where the rest of the team is at that's where I would pick but I think they got it's a team what do they got it's a team that has two deep wise 
three-year players yeah along the offensive line yeah those guys have played together played a lot of football together yeah they're gonna get it the wide receiving group the, the this is one thing i think about football uh taylor this is a thing i've thought about football for a long time you can have old wide receivers and a young quarterback and make it work you can have an older quarterback and young wide receivers and make it work. You cannot have young wide receivers and a young quarterback. Yeah. And UNC is in the lucky position to have, obviously Corrales is an older wide receiver, but the rest of these guys are young wide receivers, but with an experienced quarterback. So they should be able to make it work. The only thing that won't make it work problems with him getting the ball out. Yeah. And I, I want to say too, while I'm, while I would say my biggest concern with this team is the skill positions, it also kind of coincides with the fact that I don't think this team has to put up 41.7 points per game or they don't have to put up 537 yards per game like they did last year because I think the defense is ready to take that next step where you have where you have that continuity, you have the the influx of the true freshman last year, Tony Grimes, Jaquarius mm-hmm. Conley, Miles Murphy, to where they're in year two. And you have guys like Eugene Asante. You have guys like Jeremiah Gimmel, the Fox brothers, um, Geo Biggers at the other safety spot where you're seeing a Jay Bateman starting to put together a defense. So defensively, what would you say you want to see week one against Virginia Tech to be like, okay, this unit might be for real? Uh I want to say three or four sacks. Three or four, like four, I want to say, I want to say four sacks, and not four sacks that come because somebody's unblocked, but four sacks that come because somebody is working. You know what I mean? Does that mm-hmm. make sense? Yeah, yeah. Like I want to see four earned sacks. I want to see like Rashard Weaver, Jalen Twyman sacks, not, not like unblocked corner blitz sacks. Yeah, I want to see that. I want. That's what I want to see. Um. I'll ask, and I'll listen. I'll kick it back to you. What they give up? Thirty points a game a year ago. Yeah, some twenty. What did something. you miss? Twenty nine. Twenty nine points a game. Yeah. What's the number? What's the number for you that makes this North Carolina team a ten win, eleven win football team that is playing the ACC championship game? What's the number defensively that you you want to see? Is it is it is it seventeen? Is it twenty two? Because you mentioned they don't have to score 45 points a game, yeah. but what's the number defensively that makes that real? I think one thing with, with those numbers, I think they're going to be like a mid-20s. Mid-20s. Okay. I think mid-20s can get it done, uh, uh, be a 10-win team. I agree. And I Because think, they'll be capable offensively of scoring in the 30s and to the 40s. Yeah. And, and last, they have an offensive coordinator that wants to do that, which yeah. is different from places like Georgia. Yeah, and – Last year, it was basically just an ACC schedule, so those numbers are a little higher. Um, I think they probably would have been a, a high 20s last mm-hmm. year, um, but I think with everybody taking that kind of step forward, you should be in that like mid-20s range. And like you mentioned, Phil Longo, he they're going to want to run it up. Sam Howell, he's going to be in the middle of all that Heisman talk. You know, mm-hmm. you know Mac Brown is going to want to help out Sam Howell yes. try to get to New York as – best as he can so if if north carolina can run up some of these games north carolina they will run up some of these games yeah i think that's i think that's critical to look at i think that the world of college football is changing from an officiating standpoint um from what they where you put your talent and 
scoring is it's it's a, it's imperative. You have to score. But also, if you're like it, it, we used to, I mean, let's think about it realistically, right? We we've we've lived a life like, and I'm older than you, but we've lived a life where we saw the best defenses in the country they, that gave up like nine points a game. Yeah, that's not real. <laughs> like that's not real anymore. <laughs> and no. I don't know who's listening to this, but I tell you what, we're about to see an SEC revert back to we're a defensive conference this season where they tout their defenses because the quarterbacks are all going to suck. Yeah. So <laughs> it's going to be very interesting to watch that. But the reality of it all is, man, and TV. I might not been calling you TV the whole time. Come on. That's you amazing. Can't, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Come on, TV. <laughs> Don't watch me. Watch TV. But, no, I, um, I think what we're going to be dealing with is you look at the schedule and what? We've got – obviously, UNC has Virginia Tech to kick off the season. Georgia State. Uh, or just stay okay yeah take care of business get, get take care of business virginia is going to be interesting virginia is a team that doesn't beat yourself so you have to win that football game yeah georgia tech that's another interesting game i'm i'm very curious to see if georgia tech lets jordan yates get that football a little bit because i really love that kid i think he's really good duke is going to be interesting um just because again another team that doesn't beat themselves florida state i think they're going to be really bad to be quite honest miami I don't know what to expect out of Miami. I, I have no idea. Notre Dame is going to be a tough one, especially because you play Notre Dame at the end of the at the at the end of October, two months into the season. They will know who their quarterback is, whether it's Jack Cohn or it's um, Drew Pine. We'll see what happens there. Wake Forest, go beat Wake Forest. Pitt is always a tough out because Pitt does so many weird things. I was doing, I was talking to, when I was talking to Jordan Reed actually, and we were talking about kind of. I, what did what did you I want to ask a question? What did you guys call the amoeba defense, like the the spinner orbit defense? What did you guys call that? Where the defensive line never really lined up; they just kind of linebackers and everyone just kind of moved all around. What did you guys call that? Um, I think in the receiver room we called it kind of like a floating defense. Floating, where, yeah. yeah. Where but you Pitt, just never knew. Pitt does that, and they're good yeah. at it. So we'll see what happens. Although they lost some big pieces, and then obviously Wofford, and then NC State. So this is going to be. And NC State's got Drew Leary back, and Leary is really, really good. I love Drew Leary a ton. Like, I know that in theory, when, when we talk – what do we talk – when we talk ACC quarterbacks, it's what? It's it's DJ Uyangalele is everyone's infatuation. Sam Howe is the guy that we know. Derek and King. Derek King, and then Drew and, – and then it's Devin Leary and Kenny Pickett, right? Mm. So this is going to be interesting. But for me, I look at the schedule, and obviously, like – you just, you gotta you gotta go out and make wins. The, the biggest the biggest thing I think about, and the reason I brought up the points thing, is you UNC is a team that is, as we see wide receivers start to emerge when we get into the season and see guys that are able to make plays down the field as we get into the season and discover what we get from that running back spot as they get into the season. UNC is a team that is comfortable. You don't want to do it, but you're comfortable scoring 35 to 45 points. Yeah. And that's a good place to be in, yeah. in modern college football. And UNC is also a team, and especially with a guy like Sam Howell, who's a really smart kid who knows what he's doing, doing the thing that I hate the most about college football, which is playing the, pa playing the defensive pass interference. <laughs> 
but he'll do it. We've seen him do it, right? Yeah, yeah. We've we've seen him drop a back shoulder when the better throw should be out in front, but he throws it behind, and next thing you know, the defensive back runs over that wide receiver. Now we've got a free 15 yards. Let's play another day. Mm-hmm. Fresh set of downs. We've seen him do it. And so I think that bodes well for North Carolina. I think that bodes well for the Tar Heels in terms of what they're going to be able to do, how they're going to be able to kind of um, right themselves out of trouble. And even if you start out slow, which was something, was that a year? That was last year, right? They start out slow against what, Syracuse? Yeah, yeah. You start out slow, but then you know what? If you can steal a penalty here to, to grab a first down that you probably shouldn't get, it helps you get on track to be able to win football games. And I think that's what having a quarterback who's a little more aged in the game. And it's weird to call someone who's only what a junior, junior. aged, <laughs> but that's the reality of college football now, isn't it? Yeah. And, you know, you kind of mentioned earlier, like a lot of people are picking North Carolina as like this sleeper team for the playoffs or a team that everybody's kind of penciling in right now to at least be in the ACC championship mm-hmm. against Clemson. And I think the, the elephant in the room when you're talking about Carolina football is that Carolina would be a more popular pick if you don't have the losses to the four and five Virginias, the three and six Florida States, even, even in the best of years, like 2015, where we lost to, um, South Carolina, a South Carolina team that finished like three and 10. How does this team eliminate those games where you're left looking around like what just happened? What team was that that we that we just sent out there? Yeah, I think it's a focus thing. It's focus and recognizing that we can lose. Like you you played, right? You've been there when you, you've been on the sidelines when it's like, oh, wait, what? We're losing? <laughs> can we it restart sucks. this game? It sucks. It's like, wait, what did we do all week? And then this is what happened. And I think that that is, that's the, the fickle nature of dealing with people that are 17 to 22. Mm. And I don't think it's a UNC issue. I think it is. I mean, we've seen Ohio state get smashed out by Purdue. What? (laughs) Huh? Where'd that come from? We've seen, we've seen, Oregon lose to Utah or, 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 or watching Washington lose to Washington state. And you're just like, Hey man, how's this happening? Yeah. I think it's just the fickle nature of college football. I think that's part of the sport that I identify with a lot. I mean, it's like, you don't know that guy, maybe his girlfriend dumped him that weekend and he's just not focused. And it's, that's the reality though. Right? Like it's hard. Yeah. I also, I think also part of it is like, when you're in that locker room and you have a, a number attached to your team, like uh, like Carolina is the seventh best team in the country and eighth yeah. best team in the country, you almost forget that the team across from you is going to go out and give you their best shot. Like yeah. you might've seen. And they lift uh, weights too. Yeah. You, you might've seen like uh, Florida state the week before look absolutely terrible. Like a team mm-hmm. that doesn't Garbage. know what they're doing. But, you know, when when you go into Tallahassee and all of a sudden they're hearing that the number five team is coming in and it's a team like North Carolina with as big mm-hmm. a national brand as North Carolina. And you start thinking like, oh, if I'm Florida State and we win this game, we, we might be the lead of Sports Center, We might be the, the talk of the town. I think that's something that kind of gets lost on 
yeah. in that locker room. Do you, do you feel that way kind of? Yeah. Well, listen, I, for my entire career at UNC, we were the other team. Yeah. Like we were the other team. We were always the other team. We were the team that was not ranked that could like when we beat Miami in 2004, Miami walked in and they're like, Oh, we're about to stomp these dudes out. And then what happens? We play a really good football game and we get a really great kick, obviously from Connor Barth and we get a huge win and it felt great for us. But other side of that coin, we felt really good about ourselves and then we went and played Virginia Tech and they beat us 33 to three. <laughs> so it's one of those things where, again, I, I think it speaks to the fickle mental nature of being that old and how you handle things. And I think you're spot on with when you put a number next to your name that you think that automatically assumes you're good. I think that's something that um, Nick Saban's been amazing about is letting his kids know that the number doesn't mean anything. Yeah. And Dabo's doing it as well. And I think obviously Mac has the capability of doing that and we'll see what happens with Ohio state or any of these other schools. But the reality of it is, is that you better go out and play every week because if yeah. you don't play every week, like your hair's on fire, somebody's going to show out and really put you out. Yeah. And it's, that's the rough part. And that's why I brought up Ohio state losing to Purdue, excuse me, losing to Purdue because it's hard. And it's hard every week and every week is different. And you know what it, man, you've been in the locker room. You know what life is like. Like it's like, you don't know, like everybody's it's, it could be school and you got to get, you got this test going on or you got to do this or that, or this responsibility. You're not as focused as you might maybe should have been, or obviously dealing with, you know, significant others and all this stuff. Like there's a lot of variables and it's different than being in the NFL. Yeah. In the NFL, like that's your job. You focused on you're focused. The only thing you have to worry about. <laughs> it's just very, yeah, it's it's different. But yeah, no, I think that um I think you're spot on. I think having a number attached to your name does make people feel like you start to feel yourself. And one of the biggest things, and I don't know if any of the players are gonna listen to this or not, but and we're at the end now, but don't feel yourself. Just stick to your craft. The craft is what gets the job done. The craft is what pays the bills. The craft is what gets you to the next level. The craft is what gets you those dubs. The craft is what gets you um, all the stuff that you want in life. It's the craft is what gets it to you. And I don't know, for me, even as someone who works in media, like I think about the craft more than I think about anything else. Like mm. I'm not a star. What's what Rick Ross say? I'm not a star. Somebody lied. Yeah. That's it. <laughs> Show up, bang it out work as hard as you can. And for UNC, that work as hard as you can means every week know that I don't care. And we see coaches do it all the time, right? Pretend that they're the underdog. Yeah. It's the same idea. You've got to show up and realize it just, it, I don't know how many people have seen the program. Now I'm dating myself even more, I guess. But if you've seen the program, like Alvin Mack is the linebacker in the movie, The Program. And in that movie, he does a thing where he is like, you were talking about my mom. Like he just manufactured a chip on his shoulder. Yeah. And I think that's a big part of just how you can help yourself stay focused. I, I don't also, mean to rant and ramble for that long, but yeah. yeah I, I also think when you're talking about the team kind of reading their own press clippings, the fact that 
they have 21 of 22 starters back from an orange bowl. They, they have a lot of experience back to be like, you know, we remember when we came in highly ranked to Florida state and we took them maybe a lot, a lot more lightly than we kind of expected. And we remember how embarrassing it was to get back on that plane back to Chapel Hill, where, Mm -hmm. you know, we, we come into that game, a, a double digit favorite and everybody was talking about us to now everybody questioning us. I think, the fact that they have so much experience back and they have somebody like Mac Brown kind of writing the ship, I think that will help them this year. And that's one of the things I'm looking forward to seeing, but switching sides, you know, you're from Charlotte, you're from the yeah. Charlotte area. You're somebody that follows oh, I'm from Charlotte. I'm not from the yeah. Charlotte area. The Charlotte area is Belmont Gastonia. I'm from okay. Charlotte, Charlotte, okay. Charlotte. Okay. Proper. You're from Charlotte. <laughs> and you're also somebody that follows and understands the ins and outs of recruiting. How would you begin to describe the importance of Mac Brown building this wall around in-state talent and repairing any high school relationships to where the class of 2021 was the 14th best class in the nation. And you also have 11 of the top 12 guys from the state of North Carolina. I mean, I think it's huge. UNC has not always done well in Charlotte period. Like, Mm. We got Tennessee has done better than UNC in Charlotte. Obviously, Florida has done better. Like we we see guys leave consistently, and to be able to, I, I think that's to honestly, I think that's maybe one of Dre Bly's biggest um, contributions mm-hmm. is having the relationships not just with um, players but with coaches. And I remember when Kenny Browning was let go. I thought that was a disaster for UNC mm. and then seeing, I mean, listen, Drake may is not playing there. If Dre Bly is not on that staff, that's a reality, right? Yeah. Like he's not playing. There. And to see them go out and get, I mean, power Eccles is another one like that's he's not, he's going to Tennessee or he's going to Georgia. And that's a reality of the situation, but be, to be able to get those guys and to keep them in state and to keep these guys at home is huge to be able to recruit. And obviously like Gavin Blackwell is at UNC. Why? Because UNC was also able to get Sam Howe from his same high school. Like that's all these, there's the connective tissue in all of this. And I think it matters. And it's, I don't know. Recruiting is the thing that I really, I love. And listen, getting the kid, what is it? Kamaro Edmonds from Havelock. Havelock is for those of you that don't know, I think, probably one of my favorite places to, to I've been in a couple of coaches clinics where Havelock coaches have been talking and they, they understand they don't have the biggest kids in the world or they don't have the strongest kids or the fastest kids all the time, but they play this chaotic brand of football going back to that three, three, five, they mm. play this chaotic brand of football that is devastating to other teams because if they start teaching it when these kids are in like eighth grade, they start building them all the way up through that. So yeah, I mean, it's just, I don't know. It's, I've never seen UNC recruit like this, to be quite honest. I've never seen UNC recruit like this. Even when Mac Brown was there the first time, UNC didn't recruit like this always in state. Yeah. Sure. Like they, they did a really good job in um, the, 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 the Tidewater area, uh, like Chesapeake down to uh, Virginia Beach, Norfolk area. They did a great job there, but this is in state stuff. And I do think that obviously 
think there are a couple things at play here. I think one is with less travel due to obviously COVID, hmm. kids are wanting to stay home. They recognize the value of being closer to their families. I also think that with Tennessee being bad and Virginia Tech not being very good, you're, we're, UNC is capitalizing on these opportunities, which I think is a big positive. I don't think it's, I think, yeah, go for it. Because if in this small window space and time, UNC is able to create a winning brand, then they're going to get more of those kids. And those kids' teammates are going to continue to go to school there. So I think Dre Bly is just a remarkable ambassador for the program. I think Mac Brown, obviously, at the as the figurehead at the top, is important because these high school coaches like to talk to him. And they like to know that they he cares about them, and they like to know that their players have value to him. Yeah. And that was not something that we always saw in previous regimes. Yeah. I also think that if North Carolina can keep recruiting at this level, where I think nobody really saw this kind of level recruiting yeah. for North Carolina coming, I think Mac Brown and the, the program that he's kind of rebuilt at Carolina, it's a program where they're going to, they're going to play exceeding their recruiting rankings with, yeah. with that development and with the schemes that they're kind of putting everybody in. So it's like, if, if he could keep this ball rolling and keep this momentum going, it's, it's, it's why everybody starts to talk about like, what's the potential of this North Carolina program, because it's, it's not something any, anybody in this lifetime has ever seen, but um, that's all I have for you football related wise. Like I mentioned earlier, UNC fans, you have to follow Michael Felder on Twitter at in the bleachers where you could get a mix of all things. He's an expert on football, gardening, cooking, to get off topic for a second as we close, I just started cooking, moved to this new apartment, just started cooking on my own. I started one of those meal prep services, not going to mention any names, don't want to give any free ads away. So to close, I'm wondering, what's the best tips you have for a beginner like myself in the kitchen? So I, my best tip, I'll say this. Um, do you like chicken? Yeah. Okay. So depending on what's on sale that week, you can get a whole chicken and you can get split breast and you can get chicken thighs. You can get wings. I say at least twice a week, you got to figure out roasting chicken in the oven. Okay. Take the time. You'll learn your oven. You're also going to learn the technique to what works best for you, whether it's spatchcocking the chicken or cutting the chicken into halves or what have you. And the other thing I'll say is, do you have a thermometer? Yes, I do. You got a thermometer? Yeah. Use it. That's the biggest key. Too many people who don't cook a lot don't use thermometers and they just use the times on the recipe. Uh -huh. But everyone's oven is different and the thermometer is going to give you the true temperature. Okay. There. Boom. I mean, listen, I've, I've been cooking for a long time. I am 53 chickens into smoking chickens this year because I wanted to get better at it. I've smoked chickens for over a decade, but I wanted to get really good at what I like and knowing what I do like and what I don't like about them. And so I'm that deep into it. I spent a year roasting chickens. That's why I start with roasting chickens because it's such an easy meal. Uh, you, friends, whoever, like it looks super impressive when you roast the whole chicken. Yeah. But it's so like, it, once you practice enough, it's going to be easy. You don't have to think about it anymore. And then you don't have to go out to eat or order something. 
I'll keep that in mind. UNC fans, see, see what I'm talking about. You can't get that kind of insight anywhere else. That's all I have for you today, Felder. Appreciate your time as always. And we'll have to do this again sometime soon. And I'm going to send you pictures of, uh, of some of the meals I cook. Get, get your tips. I'm a, I'm a big plating and lighting guy. Oh, dude. Yeah. Your lighting's probably better than mine, but I am, <laughs> um, I'm very close to, to springing for a DSLR just to take food pics. <laughs> Appreciate it. Always. Okay. Picture this. It's Friday afternoon. When a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road, the steeper the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.